Good evening, I'm Darcy. And I'm Hannah. Welcome to Real Bites. The podcast where we, as film students, put our limited coherent thoughts into words to discuss classic films. In this episode, we'll be discussing the 1959 film, Some Like It Hot, directed by Billy Wilder and starring Jack Lemming, Tony Curtis, and Marilyn Monroe. Stay tuned for our thoughts on yachts, metaphors, and friends of the Italian opera. Some Like It Hot is set in the age of prohibition. When two musicians, Joe and Jerry, witness a mob hit, they flee the state disguised as Josephine and Daphne, the two new members of an all-girls band. All is well until an ancient playboy falls in love with Daphne, who is actually Jerry, and the band's lead singer falls for Joe, who besides pretending to be Josephine, also pretends to be a millionaire. Joe and Jerry struggle to keep up their fake identities as the mob closes in. So this comedy was very plot-heavy as opposed to gag-heavy, I found, in comparison to comedies like Airplane or The Naked Gun. The dialogue, I think, was really what pushed the comedy a lot, and it really moved the story forward. Yeah, it was it was a very funny film. Like In the comedy section, it definitely wouldn't be my thing. And it didn't just have a plot like, boy wants girl, and that's the end of it. They managed to add a lot of plot twists. It was very interesting until the, the end. They kept it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. They got some foreshadowing in there. It was very well-structured. So some of the plot twists are when Jerry ends up engaged to a real millionaire while pretending to be <laughs> Daphne. <laughs> and then at one point, the other guy's like, you know, he tells his friend, he tells Joe, I'm getting, I'm engaged. And he goes, who's the lucky girl? I am, is his reply. It's funny because he he goes from, you know, being reluctant to even pretend to be a girl, and then he's like, but Joe, this might be my last chance to marry a millionaire. You've got yeah. a point. What can I say? <laughs> Jerry's character changes throughout the story in the beginning. They had this really funny contrast where they had him in the beginning go, I'm a girl, I'm a girl, I'm a girl. Oh, I wish I were dead. I wish I was because dead. he really wants to get with <laughs> Sugar Kane, who's the lead singer of their band. And by the end, when he gets engaged to the millionaire, he's really excited. And then he's like, oh, I'm a guy, I'm a guy, I'm a guy. Oh, I wish I were dead. Oh, I think he says, I'm a boy, actually, I'm a boy. I wish I were dead. He's like trying to convince himself back into what he yeah. is. <laughs> back into being <laughs> who he really is. They had, and they kept this consistent threat of the mob, because they witnessed the mob shooting, right? Which is based on the same Valentine's Day massacre. And then... You know, they're going well, they're going well. Sugar falls for Joe pretending to be a millionaire. And then the mob comes to the hotel for an opera conference as the friends of the Italian opera. And then again, for the second time, they're witnesses to another mob shooting (laughs) with the same mob. (laughs) So the stakes, the stakes are raised again. That was was a really good scene. The second mob shooting, for sure. Yeah. The cake and everything. They, they did it really well. The threat showed up again. Yeah, it, it did push the plot forward and yeah. allowed more opportunities for more dialogue. And in the irony and all the tense scenes with them in the elevator with the yeah. with the mob members. <laughs> so for character development, I think we already kind of highlighted that, like how Lemon's character goes from being like, I'm a boy, I'm a boy, I'm a boy, to having to convince mm-hmm. himself that he is a boy at the end, like, 
Yeah, they change a bit too. Joe, especially when he, in the beginning, he's very this, he's kind of an asshole, right? He uses his girlfriend. He's known for, he owes, you know, both of them owe money to all the girls. And he's really horrible in the way he treats women. But by the end, when Joe gets to be on the other side of being treated that way, he has a lot more sympathy for Sugar and his his way of talking and acting changes when he, you know, yeah. he he actually tries to say goodbye to Sugar properly. Yeah, yeah. You can see their friendship kind of really develops throughout the film. And they're mm-hmm. just there for each other. And it's pretty sweet. I think also Sugar's character develops. She becomes happier and she stops drinking as much. It's kind of like a negative positive character change. She stops drinking as much when she is when she thinks she's with the millionaire. But the yeah. second they break up, she goes back to drinking. Oh, that's true. The characters have agency and their wands conflict. So jealousy is a conflict between Joe and Jerry, especially when Joe fakes being a millionaire. And Jerry gets kind of jealous because Joe has a much better chance of getting with Sugar since he knows everything about her from talking while he's, again, pretending to be Josephine. There's the funny scene where Jerry quips, you know, and bring your yacht. (laughs) (laughs) When Joe suggests coming to watch them play. Because he obviously doesn't have a yacht or anything. Yeah. It's all tied up very nicely. You know, neat little bow, all the... There's no loose ends in the plot. Yeah. The style of humor in this film relies a lot on metaphors and... Actually, a lot of the witty dialogue is a simile followed by a metaphor as a response. And for example, in the beginning, when they're in the train, Jerry says, oh, it's like being in a pastry shop. And Joe replies, well, we're on a diet. We're on a diet. (laughs) No sugar, no pastry. No sugar, no pastry. (laughs) And again, like sugar, her name takes on a double meaning. Oh, yes. It's all very clever. And there's more. It's like it's like waving a red flag in front of a bull. And the reply is, I'm sick of being the flag. I want to be a bull again. <laughs> and then, well, we're like sisters. And the response to that is, well, I'm the fairy godmother. Suggesting Joe is trying to keep things under control. When Also with the cops, when the cops are talking with the mob, there's a couple of notable examples. There's, who's going to write a funeral? Because they have the funeral parlor as a front for the speakeasy. And the response is, some people got no respect for the dead. And then they have this reserved table, which is for members of the immediate family. Yeah, and then meanwhile, part- they're drinking quote-unquote coffee. Yeah, scotch coffee, Canadian coffee. <laughs> and then when the second shooting happens, where the shooters in the cake, and they go, there was something in that cake that didn't agree with him. And my compliments to the chef. No one's leaving this room till I get the recipe. That was a great line. There's a lot of really good quotes. Yeah. But when Josephine and Daphne catch Sugar, Marilyn's character, drinking, she says, I don't want you to think I'm a drinker. I can stop if I want to. Only I don't want to. That's, yeah, of course, that's the point of being a drinker. Though the comedy is quite light in having all the dialogue be witty and clever and inserting comedy into everything. The main threat, who is the gangster Spats Columbo, he's a, a very real threat. He's a danger to their lives, and he's very thorough in what he does. So 
Like he's, it was plausible for them to change states to get away from him, and he stays as a threat throughout the film. Which usually in comedy sometimes it's, it's not, the stakes aren't that high, but in this case they were. I think it was effectively used like instead of having like one just really long chase throughout the film, they broke it up into two parts. That was pretty effective. Because, I mean, halfway throughout the film, I forgot that the mob existed because of, like, how interesting the plot is. And then at the end, they kind of brought it back to build up the, the tension for the yeah, final they, like, scenes. It was like, because in the middle, they had all these other problems aside from the gangster. And then on top of everything, he comes back. <laughs> yeah. So that was, it was well done. Another piece of dialogue I liked where... They ask a question and the, there's an alternate meaning is when Josephine asks Daphne's character what she's going to do on her honeymoon with the millionaire because the millionaire doesn't know that Daphne's actually a man. So, yes, what are you going to do on your honeymoon? And then Daphne responds, he wants to go to Riviera, but I kind of lean towards Niagara Falls. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty fun. That made me That's laugh. a pretty big aspect on a comedy and they've used it so well here. I think we can go on to some trivia now. Alright. So the film, though it's black and white, which is odd considering, of course, it was made in 1959 where they definitely had color cinema. It was actually shot in color, but the end result is in black and white because Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon looked odd in the color screen tests. Apparently they looked green and really weird from all the makeup they had on and they couldn't pass as women in color even though all of Marilyn Monroe's films had to be in, in color for her contract they they did this one in black and white honestly I think that's good if they kept it in color it, maybe like the greenish color of their faces would, would just be distracting if it killed the illusion it would not have been worth it you know? yeah like, I'm honestly black and white. even if it looks in black and white I was still so intrigued like it in the film, it wasn't, it wasn't weird or off-putting at all. There was more important elements than the color. There was the comedy and the plot and the characters and some great cinematography at times. But a lot of sound effects were like really good. And the music matched. Oh yeah, the music was terrific. Speaking of music, Frank Sinatra was almost in the film, but he didn't make it. Whoa. <laughs> Imagine having such a stellar cast for like Frank Sinatra and Marilyn Monroe. And Marilyn Monroe. That would have been insane. Yeah. Something interesting is some of Tony Curtis's dialogue was dubbed because he could not hold a falsetto for so long when they were shooting. I thought his voice matched so well with the voice actor. Yeah, it was I would have never noticed. And I, I knew that fun fact, and then I watched the film again, and I completely forgot about it. And then I read the fun fact again, and I thought, oh, wow, that's impressive. Like, you can't tell at all. No. So well done. Actually, both of them did a pretty good falsetto, not gonna lie. I don't know if I, even I'd be able to do that. <laughs> and the voice actor, props to him for matching everything, like the speed oh, well. of talking and the intonations with Tony Curtis's acting. How long do you think that would have taken <laughs> A lot of takes. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he was a genius. I don't maybe. Know. The editing was was great, and the scene with the maracas when he's 
in the bed where Jerry tells Joe he's just been engaged to Osgood Fielding III. The maracas were added later on after test screenings because the audience was laughing so hard during that scene they couldn't hear the dialogue. And so again, the gag with the maracas just added some pauses where the audience could laugh without missing out on dialogue. It was funny. And the dancing just made me laugh more, honestly. I feel like mm-hmm. if I was in the audience, I'd just keep laughing. And they brought it back at the end, right? When the, where they're packing to get away from <laughs> the lobsters. And he starts dancing, remembers the good times. I was really smart. What was your opinion on the film, Hannah? Well, my opinion, I, I think this is probably my favorite film that we've done on this podcast before. Mm. It was funny. It had a good plot. Like, I was interested. It wasn't boring, really, at any time. Good soundtrack. I've never seen a film with Marilyn Monroe before. It was pretty cool. Uh, see her acting, because I've only heard, like, some of her songs. Yeah, it's for a 1950s film, I think it was great. <laughs> it, it's one of my favorite films, definitely. It's like, maybe my favorite comedy, but from Fault of Towers and other TV shows. But Fault of Towers, oh my. <laughs> I find the film funny, and I've watched it a lot of times, over and over again, and I could watch it again, and I, I never find it boring. For, also, for a film made 60 years ago, the comedy didn't age. And the acting didn't age. So good. Yeah. It's still funny. My favorite parts were some of my favorite parts. This whole film is my favorite part. But I loved the opening scene because the contrast of the police pursuing a hearse is very interesting. It's immediately intriguing. You're like, why would they what would they want with a funeral parlor? And the the one shot of the row of millionaires all on rocking chairs wearing their hats and reading Wall Street Journal stood out to me. Jack Lemmon's acting is fantastic. I think he's the most gifted actor of the film. And of course, the iconic final punchline where Jerry is now trying to convince Osgood not to marry him. I've been living with a saxophone player for five years. And then at the end, he says, I'm a man. And the final line of the film, Osgood replies to, I'm a man with Nobody's perfect. <laughs> oh, another one. He's like, I can't have children. And the millionaire's like, we can adopt them. Yeah. He has a solution for everything. He just, he won't take no for an answer. We can adopt them. I smoke like a chimney. I don't care. I've been living <laughs> with a saxophone player. I forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> Again, really good dialogue. Mm-hmm. Another fun fact I heard was um, someone was hired to teach. Daphne and Josephine's characters had to walk in heels. But after a week, they were like, no thanks, we don't want these like lessons anymore. We're going to try to look like men trying to walk like women. Which is a good choice, because that's what they were playing in the film. And it's funny to see them struggle as part of the comedy. Walking in heels is so difficult. They did a great job. Yeah, props to them. Overall, the film was really well-paced. There was no boring moments. Ah, I mean, maybe one or two, but not enough where I can recall them off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Some Like It Hot is a terrific film, and if you have not seen it, go run to the library right now and see it, watch it. I think it's online. Not oh. that I'm promoting piracy, but, you know. 
I know Canada's the number one country in the world with the most legal downloads. Good job, lads. Let's let's make it higher. Go watch some like it hot. <laughs> keep Canada at number one. Let's keep it that way. Or not, you know, in case any film distribution companies are watching. We're very professional here. Go. That's why I said go to the library. You've been listening to Real Bites Podcast, where we discuss classic films in a bite-sized episode. This podcast is free to listen to, and as of now, it's available on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, TikTok, and LinkedIn. We'll be expanding to other platforms soon, so stay tuned. Find all the links at realbytes.card.co, which is spelled R-E-E-L-B-I-T-E-S dot C-A-R-R-D dot C-O. Thank you for listening. Thank you, and see you next time.